Hi, this is Ineash Brodsky. Hi, I'm Katrina Stanton. Hi, I'm Steven Zuber. And this is The Bayesian Conspiracy! Yay! Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and we're going to have music at some point here. You're doing the music? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so, this is, as I've been telling people, a conversational podcast for people who are rationality adjacent, in the rationality sphere anyway, but um, are not smart enough to be really the hardcore leaders. Okay. That's not fair. Me, is that not fair? No. Okay, so you, let's, let's, let's cut this out and start over. How about, how, how about more you, casual? Okay. You, you. How would you introduce us? This is staying in, by the way. No, this is not staying in. This is in. totally staying in. Oh, you guys suck. We're working we're working out what this what the show's about. So Yeah, no, everyone's gonna be bored hearing what the show's about. Oh, everyone's gonna be bored anyway. Oh, damn it. <laughs> listen again. No, this will be fun. No, we gotta cut out this boring part. <laughs> now that it's gone on this long, we may have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Great. Congratulations. Sorry. Hey, you gotta win somehow, right? Sorry. No, I think I think the introduction was fine rather than the the stupid. Part. I should not say the stupid. Don't part. call okay. people. I don't. I don't think that we need to call people stupid. I think okay. that is yeah. antithetical to what we're trying to do here. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, this this for people who are interested in, in rationality. There's there's tons of podcasts out there for skeptics, which, and I'm willing to defend this. I think is like rationality 1.0 and ra- or rationality is like skepticism 2.0. Okay, um, I could see. I say that. I don't. I don't see that there's much out there for uh, rationality audio consumption so yeah. uh yeah we'll see if this sticks we'll find a way to put that all together no i thought that was pretty good what you said cool oh, i all thought right. it was good too yeah we'll use that oh that's cool everyone will probably hate it the, the other, it's well, possible but in the meantime we can have fun and we can chat about rationality topics how they apply to our lives that is what i'm hoping for we'll take the risk of, of public chagrin in stride yeah. but the thing with julia galas podcast which is great check it out rationally speaking but it's more it's not about rationality in general it's sort of they'll pick any random topic and talk about it at a level that a rationalist can enjoy but it's not about rationality in general and this isn't going to be about that i think every week for forever but uh you know so like the second most recent rationally speaking episode was on false memories and cool. yeah it was awesome um, it was with uh, Elizabeth Loftus, who um, I actually saw give a talk at the Amazing Meeting. And the reason I brought that up is because Julia in the podcast was like, I think I saw you talk at something once. I was like, yeah, Julia, we're we at the same thing. <laughs> um, but uh, the there there's, I think, the first episode they try and tackle what is rationality. Uh-huh. But, it, but I that was years ago, and I don't remember even what they said. So yeah. that's that's not really the, the focus of their show. Oh, so we get but. to go from scratch here. And we're, we're staying on scratch for for a while anyway. I do I do assume that most of the people listening to this will have some exposure to the less wrong rationality type tools. But this I, won't be a complete new thing to them. Not some of my friends. No? I, okay. I can't imagine how they'll stumble across it otherwise unless someone shows it to them. But hopefully this isn't their only exposure. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully even with minimal exposure over time, listening to this podcast, you'll be able to pick up some things. Right. It's kind of the hope, right? Yeah. Okay. And since we haven't mentioned straight up, there's... Uh, a uh, long series of blog blog posts on a website called Less Wrong, and uh, this is the we're we're aiming to be less wrong inspired, but not a less wrong podcast. So it's not necessary to have deep familiarity with the website or anything, but we want to be. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm picturing sort of like the level of discourse in the comments. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll be drawing heavily from Less Wrong yes. as source material, yeah. um, along with probably other blogs, which we'll hopefully cite correctly. Try. Try. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I grabbed I grabbed some definitions from them. Um so we'll we'll be using those as we go on. Do we wanna jump right into that question that we got? Yeah. The only thing I think the only other thing I wanted to mention was about the uh about citing other sites uh sources and stuff. There will be on the website in the episode descriptions we'll have links to more or less everything we talk about in every episode. Oh, especially we tell links where to the website is. Oh yeah. Oh, the website is the Bayesian, not Bayesian, Bayesian? Uh-huh. Okay. The Bayesian Conspiracy.com. And I guess every time we put it up an episode, we'll have links to relevant things. You bet. Okay. Thanks for setting that up. Yeah, no problem. Thanks to you guys for maintaining it. Inyash did 80, 90% of the legwork for setting the website up in exchange for us doing the maintenance work later. So. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right. So do you want to introduce this question? Yeah, sure. This was fantastic because we were talking about setting up this podcast. We were trying to figure out what our first topic would be. We're like, hey, let's introduce, you know, our favorite rationality tool. Uh, Then like a day (laughs) later, I got this email uh, that was a very good intro question. I was like, hey, guys. I don't really know the answer to this. I kind of sort of got an idea, but it's, it's actually a fairly hard question for a fairly basic thing. Let's let's start with this, because this would be a really good way to start off the podcast. And the two of them said, yeah, we think that's a great idea. Yeah. So here's it's, the question. It's a multi-part question, and it starts, is there evidence that a rational approach to decision-making, either on the personal or institutional level, will be more likely to achieve desired outcomes? For example, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality implies that a perfectly rational decision-maker will do a better job than a very smart and informed ad hoc decision-maker, but I don't understand why this should be the case. After all, the Bayesian priors for any real-life problem aren't available, and if you're estimating, how are you doing better than somebody using their knowledge and intuition? I don't include empirical decision-making as inherently rational here. So, for example, if GiveDirectly were the best charity I see, um, that is more of a data-driven outcome than a rational one. Obviously, the two are not mutually exclusive, so I could be missing something. That's really long. Let's we'll t- we'll tackle it piece by piece. Yeah, you yeah. Just, just do the uh, the first line. But okay. I, I wanted to say really quick. Hey, do you have this person's name? Um. Or, you didn't. You didn't put it in our forward. I did not put it in the forward. No, it's. It's. You know, it came from me. It came to me on Reddit. So it's their Reddit name, and I will credit them later. But we'll give you a shout out in the in the on the website because I think that's awesome. There's that it's sounds like a, a non complex question. Yeah, that yeah. sounds that sounds like I would assign a non zero probability to that being Eli Zero in disguise to see if you actually <laughs> to see if you knew what you were talking yeah. about. Really, <laughs> this is the test. No, that was because that that covers like everything. That is that is. You don't a, give the right answer here. That's guys. the kind of intro question, like to you know, like a of a one on one class that would just really piss off the instructor because it's like, well, I was going to teach, but we'll just cover this one question for ninety minutes because it's that that in depth. So yeah, uh, but I think uh, it's great. So. Yeah. Is, is 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 Eleazar um, often going undercover and? Oh, he is secretly everyone in the Bayesian conspiracy. What? Yeah, just I with suppose different if, voice modulators. But if he was, he, we might. Not. <laughs> if he was, we wouldn't know, right? So right, and he can neither confirm nor deny that he's actually all of us. Fair enough. Great. Until we get him on the show. Oh, but then that could be him playing the you know deeper game. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you want to start with the first sentence? Let's do it. Is there any evidence that a rational approach to decision making, either on a personal or institutional level, will be more likely to achieve desired outcomes? Did you say you had some research on this? I said that I was aware of some research on it, and I did check into it again recently. Uh, Julia Galef runs the uh, Center for Applied Rationality, and one of their, their object level goals is to acquire more research on exactly that question. So they did, uh, they're doing a longitudinal blind, a blind study of um, a statistically identical group of basically the way it works is people who wanted to be, they took a bunch of applicants who wanted to come to CIFAR classes and uh, CIFAR sort for Center for Applied Rationality and then took half of them. And so then they, then they compared the, the, the base demographics and stuff made, all the, made those all the same. And last time I checked, they are still doing the research. So, so they what, are, to be, what are they trying to find out? What is the difference between the two groups? I think they want to check, like, uh, measured life success, probably self-assessed life life success. They wanted to c- compare it to uh, self-reported happiness levels um, and that sort of thing. So the idea is to see what the difference would be um, between the success and happiness of somebody who was interested in applying rationality in their lives and people who were not? No, it's everyone who's interested in applying it, but people who were formally trained. I see. Then again, that's also assuming that the people who didn't get to CFAR classes aren't going to go on and self-teach themselves. So we, they're going to have to qualify How many freaking variables is that? A lot. But Julia's a, a, I think she has a master's in statistics. So. Oh, well, then I should and trust her. And they have a team. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can trust that they at least are aware of the problem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But as far as... Uh, answering that question uh i was hoping that the research had been c- completed but it's not so anyone have any anecdotes <laughs> or other research <laughs> well um you know my immediate knee-jerk reaction to that question was 
that's what we're going to be talking about is um, how we can apply the methods of rationality to things in our daily lives and um, to get a better outcome than otherwise. Now, I think now is maybe a time when we should talk about the different types of rationality. So what kind of rationality we are actually referring to. Before we do that, okay. I, well, because I wanted to jump in with my okay. my thing on it That's too. That's fine. Um, so the question, whether the, the rational approach to decision-making is better or not, I'm not sure there is really a rational approach to decision-making. I've always thought of rationality as more of a toolkit of ways to think and ways to make sure that you aren't doing a terrible job fooling yourself, or I guess a really good job fooling yourself. Is that not a rational approach? Well, that is... I don't know if that's a rational approach. Like, when I think of rationality, it's like the tools to make sure that you have good info, that you aren't pulling from biased sources, that your own, you know, mental proclivities aren't pushing you in a way that you don't want to go. And so that that seems to me like you're laying the groundwork for decision-making with the rational tools. Little column A, little column B. Okay. Because <laughs> I think that, that that sounds exactly like an approach. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's mm-hmm. uh, I, made the, I made the analogy to skepticism earlier. You know, the, uh, I'm not sure what someone would say the skeptical approach is, but it's basically, yeah, it can be summarized in, in one sentence of having a reasonable standard for evidence. Right. Um, you know, so then they'll they'll take that and then work from that framework. All right, what's reasonable here? You know, what can I safely assume or whatever? Uh how outlandish is this claim or something um like when he when he asks you know a, what's a the rational approach to decision making i, I want to contrast it right away to what's an irrational approach yeah exactly and yeah. that i don't think that's fair to him though because then he says down that his alternate is uh what is that smart smart ad hoc Informed. Smart, informed, ad hoc decision making. See, and I think the how smart. How is that not? How's, yeah, how's that not rationality? The smart part is gaining data, and uh, in, informed ad hoc is, you know, making sure that your ad hoc rules, because no one has can analyze every single thing all the time. You develop good heuristics, and you test those every now and then. Heuristics is like rules of thumb, I guess. Should we point that out? Yeah, shortcuts, heuristics, right? I think, are, yeah, they're, they're mental shortcuts mm-hmm. yeah. um, or you, cognitive shortcuts. You develop yes. good heuristics and you test them every now and then to make sure that they're still working and that they're good and you alter them as you need to, but that's all a, a rationality method. Well, we're going to get to, um, to rational and, and you know, potentially irrational heuristics yeah. <clears throat> in just a moment, so... But yeah, this is this is a good question. I think that we're probably going to be spending every time we podcast answering it. Mm-hmm. At least a little bit. It can tie back to everything. So yeah, I like the idea of what's a an irrational approach. Because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, short of like literally like tossing a die for every problem that you can think of. But then again, too, on on what you assign what you assign for each of the six you know decisions. If you're throwing a six sided die. Uh, <laughs> Some of those can be way more outlandish than others, right? So, so an era, um, if it's rational or not, right? Mm-hmm. It depends on what your goal is, okay. right? Right. And um, it depends on if it makes sense to use intuition, to use effect heuristics, to use to use those shortcuts um, to make that decision, right? Yeah. Given 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 the situation, and sometimes it absolutely does. In fact, probably, maybe even most times it makes sense to use some of our, our mental evolutionary shortcuts to make decisions. But using rationality is kind of getting over those mental shortcuts for times that they don't work. Well, so that's, I mean, that's why we have the heuristics that we do. Yes. Because uh, they're, they're beneficial most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's when they, they reliably fail. Um, mm-hmm. So... Part of rationality is, is knowing the circumstances under which your heuristics are likely to be poorly calibrated. Yeah. Um, but what you described, uh, Katrina, was partly, I think, adjacent to two kinds of rationality, and that, that's that's a, a good segue. Is mm-hmm. there's instrumental rationality, which is, uh, I guess, what achieving object level goals. Yeah. It's- and epistemic rationality, which is finding the truth, or I guess a more a reliable way of finding the truth. 
trying yeah. reliably to find so, the truth. Yeah. Thanks to Less Wrong, I actually have uh, a couple kind of full definitions here. Right on. Um, and you're absolutely right, of course, Stephen. But <laughs> I kind of like the way that they explain it, or the way whoever wrote this explained it on Less Wrong, which you can find in Less Wrong Wiki. So, instrumental rationality is concerned with achieving goals. Um, more specifically, instrumental rationality is the art of choosing and implementing actions that steer the future towards outcomes ranked higher in one's preferences. Your preferences can be all sorts of things, anything you care about. Whereas epistemic rationality is when your goals are truth and knowledge, um, specifically. So those are goals in of themselves. Right. Whereas if you're talking about instrumental rationality, it you could have falsehoods and that could be part of achieving a different goal. Think politics or something less inflammatory, like like, <laughs> like 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 physical health. Like I want to be healthy. I want to be healthier. Like that's your object level goal. So like how are you going to go about doing that? So like you can uh, watch Oprah and get your health advice from Dr. Oz or you can uh, buy any book off the shelves. It's probably less reliable. Um, or probably more reliable than Dr. Oz, but less reliable than other sources. But, you know, the, the thing is that you can look at, this is my goal. And you, with careful definition, you can say, all right, how much closer am I, am I getting there? Um, you know, I guess what exactly are my health goals? Well, rationality. Um, I mean, we, we disparage Dr. Oz, of course, for good reason, but rationality also helps you realize why you should disparage Dr. Oz and go with someone less crazy. Who will actually probably help you. This is this is a place in which truth and having good, accurate knowledge will probably help you get he healthier. Right. I agree. Maybe that was a bad example. But we yeah. yeah, we want to we also want to explain how rationality leads you to the 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 concept that Dr. Oz is not a reliable source. Hmm. I feel like that's even easier than than hard rationality and that's just skepticism is uh, well I guess it's rationality too in that you can look at uh Maybe it's useless drawing that distinction all the time. But how reliable is this person in general? Mm -hmm. And then, okay, uh, now what's this new claim they're making? Well, how, how much should I trust that given, A, what I already know about the human body or and or his reliability about something? I think I have an example of when, um, of the different kind of rationality. So instrumental rationality, let's say that your goal is to be best friends with Dr. Oz. At that point, again, disparaging poor Dr. Oz, um, the truth isn't necessarily going to be going to be helpful in getting to that goal of being best friends mm -hmm. with Dr. Oz. It might be more useful for you to hold similar opinions to to that person. That's true. I guess you're working. But within a framework of you want to believe true things about what it takes to be best friends with Dr. Oz. Again. But you know what I mean? So, like, y you might believe, okay, well, this fruit tonic that he's selling probably won't cure my cancer, <laughs> but I'll pretend to believe that because it'll let me be his friend, right? I think, <laughs> I think actually, this is getting to the root of the guy's question. Mm -hmm. That sometimes, if your goal is to become friends with Dr. Oz, it's better not to be rational. Or, this Dr. Oz scenario is kind of ridiculous but a the 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 one i enjoyed like much more from less wrong is the bayesians versus barbarians conundrum the if you're in an all-out war for survival you kind of want to place your bet on the barbarians because they don't care if they live or die they're going to go out there and fuck shit up and if you know however many of them die along the way that's fine whereas the bayesians are more likely to be kind of like oh i don't want to necessarily risk my life for this and at least that's you know the the common perception and i also do not want to join the military for <laughs> similar reasons but the uh the answer that eliezer proposes is that if the bayesians do that they will lose the war mm -hmm. and they will see that and losing the war is a very suboptimum outcome so the rational choice is not to lose the war that would be irrational and can i say stupid in this case because losing a war is kind of stupid, right? Uh, if your goal is to win, sure. Yes. Okay. Only, only if your goal is to win. All right. And so <laughs> the, the, the more correct answer is for everyone to see that the way to beat the barbarians was to take some percentage of them and self-modify to becoming irrational and barbarian-esque while they're, you know, out fighting this war until it's over. 
Yeah. I um so from personal life. Mm-hmm. This is a good time. I I feel like there are plenty of times when it doesn't make sense to be super rational because it might cause um it might cause discomfort with the position that you have to be in. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a job in which you disagree with actions taken by your boss, then it might be time to put that put those niggling little doubts away um, for the goal of being happy in your position. Isn't it rational to do that, though, if your goal is happiness over being right? Well, yeah, right. that's the example. That's yeah. the point. It's, it's meta-rationality. Instrumental, yeah. Right. So it's instrumental decided. rationality. And I mentioned politics before. Um, I've been in plenty of environmental um, lobbying situations. Mm-hmm. And as a rationalist, sometimes um, people use approaches that are uncomfortable to me, make statements that I don't feel are adequately backed up. Mm. But when the goal is changing people's minds or getting people to come out to vote or or something like that, sometimes I being think, false um, actually helps with that. Yeah, I think that's outcome. going dangerously into dark arts territory, though. I didn't because, say I liked it. Well, <laughs> once the people find out that you've been lying to them, it's going to backfire on you. Yeah, I think people are used to that. I'm, I'm I think top they there. should be. Because, yeah, on the one hand, it might be worth even possibly that fallout if, like, say, the, the bill has already been passed or something. If they find out that you were not being, gen- in, you know, they, if, they, if you weren't being completely genuine in your campaign, well, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, my side already won. So you guys can try and re- revoke that law, but it's already there. That'll be harder. So See, right. I think the loss of goodwill and the animosity you build is not going to be worth that. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what I'm talking about is falsehoods are a lot more subtle. It's not that it's more of differences of opinion and um, maybe things that I might personally think are poorly supported opinions that are are pushed to the forefront of messaging. Fair right? enough. Yeah. So, especially... so it's a little it's a little bit more subtle than all that, and and that sounds like about as honest political campaigning as as can as can get, right? <laughs> and I, I don't mean that like as a jab at all, but like that. Uh, I mean, focusing on the things that we all agree on is kind of like the only way to get people to like stay on board right so and not pointing out like the small areas or the the the, dis- the disagreements and whatever am i am i missing something no i mean you don't have to focus on the disagreements especially when you're trying to build a consensus but on the other hand i also i, I think once you stop caring about the truth in order to pursue your agenda then the truth is forever your enemy and you don't want oh. to be on the wrong side of of you know reality because eventually it's going to win so here's what people actually do they rationalize right Mm -hmm. they convince themselves that it's the truth Mm -hmm. and um maybe they maybe they already thought it was but they don't want to hear any evidence otherwise because it's better for them to continue believing something that works towards their goal but the whole right? point of the mes- the methods of rationality is to get over that sort of thing and not believe things just yes. because you want to believe them. Right. So which brings us to what we're going to try to focus on, which is epistemic rationality in pursuit of the truth rather than in pursuit of goals. Although I think that some of the topics that we're going to get into, um, they are going to involve other goals in addition to truth. I like them both because I... I... I probably use rationality more as as a as instrumentally than I do uh, empirically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for the most part, I can get a reliable picture of something from Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and that's you know, if I'm just trying to get a, a base idea of whatever's going on or where the tr- what the general truth consensus is on something. But it, I, I, it I, depends on the article. It does, but and and I'll find the study and link to it in the in the episode description. But the uh, there was a study done. And Wikipedia as a whole some years ago, and I can't remember any of the details, but it'll be there, um, had less, had fewer scientific errors, I think, in the mid-2000s than Encyclopedia Britannica. I remember um, that. Yeah. yeah. Does Encyclopedia Britannica still update? I don't know. But but the, but the idea was that to anybody who says, like, oh, it's 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 all, you know, up for anyone who goes up and edits, edits it, but I think they have like a board of thousands of, of volunteers and, and some paid people to go through and monitor edits and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's not just anything. Although Wikipedia is remarkably accurate. But as the more, long as you stay away from like hot topic political. The, the more controversial and the more obscure the page, uh, 
then yeah, then those will be way harder to get truth on. I know somebody who added an entry for a Lovecraftian beast. Okay. Right? Lovecraftian elder god or old one or, or whatever. And just watched as metal bands started naming their bands after it. Nice. And it was some just added a completely false one. Mm-hmm. That's a bummer. And then, of course, Stephen Colbert was all happy that he... Uh, Saved the elephants. He re-increased the elephant population yeah. by having everyone who watches the show say that they were doing like their populations were skyrocketing. <laughs> it, it was a thing that he did to have all his fans go into Wikipedia and edit it up. Elephants specifically. Elephants specifically, yeah. Hmm. That due to Stephen Colbert's influence, elephant populations were rising on Wikipedia. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously they reversed it. <laughs> yeah, of course. But for a little while. And just giving us. Just letting us know that all of our information is unreliable, and maybe... It's it's not unreliable, it's just, it it can be manipulated, which is true of any information. It is. It's of varying degrees of certainty. That's why I said all. Okay. Not just Wikipedia. Ah, okay, sorry, (laughs) yes. But, and I'm I'm sure this is somewhere in the comments on that wiki page, but I haven't gone through them, but uh, I think that in, in a lot of ways, epistemic rationality is a necessary condition for instrumental rationality Mm -hmm. um at least in in a lot of cases you can't manipulate reality if you don't know what is real exactly i see so like you know again using just a vague example of like i want to lose 20 pounds or something you know if your if your idea of how that works is like well if i only eat in the morning then i should be fine right um but you want to know the truth behind that claim before you just go for it to help you better achieve your goals it's also why i don't think that you should you know tell people not the truth to manipulate them because it, it's an inherently a hostile act. You're sabotaging their map of reality for your, you know, purposes. And once they find that out, they are not going to be terribly happy with you. Because you've taken away their power to alter reality by, you know, giving them a wrong, wrong idea of what it is. I not have... if everybody believes you. No, because then reality still hasn't <laughs> altered. I unless have... it's a social construct. Yes, a lot of things are social constructs. Well, yeah. Okay. Oh, we're going to run into a lot of that. If everyone took Wikipedia's word for it in the elephant population, should we have stopped worrying about it? Well, like- <laughs> the elephant population exists um, at its number no matter what Wikipedia says or what people believe. Right. I know. Right? I, I was, I so was the elephant population is not a social construct, you're saying? Exactly. Oh. But, I, I, but <laughs> oh, spe- no. But speak- speaking of, uh, of, of painting... So for me, lying is saying to yourself, I have a better grasp on what this person's view of reality should be than they do. Yes. And there are some cases I think where that could be true. If somebody's not sound of mind or uh, otherwise in some distress, uh, you know, that, that could help temporarily. But uh, I have in mind already an idea for uh, somebody to bring on as a guest who will defend the position of lying. Okay. And uh, I, I, we didn't get that far when we were talking about it, but I, couldn't bring her around to the idea that like no i think that that would still be a mean thing to do and she, and she who is this person um i don't know if she well shelly oh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. is she pro-line yes ah, which she, is weird she because a lot of very interesting um positions but i don't know if she would she might she might come on and defend lying for us we'll see <laughs> okay well that would be very nice of her <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so there was another line i'm not sure if we're ready to move on uh and I guess we can take it in order. I think the one I was thinking of was further to the end. So, ah, Next line of the question. Okay. So the next line is, for example, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality implies that a perfectly rational decision maker will do a better job than a very smart and informed ad hoc decision maker. But I don't understand why this should be the case. Do you want to? I wanted to actually just jump in and summarize, I think, the last section neatly which is there's lots of anecdotal evidence uh supporting the idea that people who make the effort to train themselves rationally uh more efficient um at instrument or i guess at uh achieving their goals we didn't actually give any anecdotal examples though no i mean we're it intuitively makes sense to me that if you know what reality is and how to manipulate it that you'll be better at doing that but I mean, we didn't actually demonstrate that. And in summary, we don't have any uh, research to, to... We don't have any large-scale research to back that up. In summary, we don't have any evidence <laughs> to back up our position on this. But 
but we want some. Well, so like <laughs> it seems it seems almost crazy to think that the opposite would be the case though that you can just do whatever you want without regards to the rules well, of the world. that's not what they're saying. They don't say that's true. whatever you want without regards to the they're That's what's this next sentence. Very smart and informed ad hoc decision maker. A very smart informed ad hoc decision maker. Why would a rational, a perfectly rational in fact decision maker do a better job? See, I think a very smart and informed ad hoc decision maker is basically a rationalist. Except when he throws in perfect. Right. Because then I'm thinking, well, then that person wouldn't need to ad hoc justify anything because they'd get it right the first time every time. Wouldn't that Um, be wonderful? Yes. I mean, it's it's like the Bayesians versus Barbarians thing. A perfect perfect Bayesian would be able to, you know, self-modify to want to be crazy while on the battlefield, right? But we can't because humans are very difficult to modify. So we uh, we allow for a little bit of irrationality and violence in the population in general, so that if we need to call up on that, we have it there. You you allow for some irrationality to exist, so that you are more flexible overall. Whoa, that sounded like a bigger claim than the barbarians versus yes, it the does. <laughs> but do you not think that we <laughs> accept more violence in society than we should necessarily? I don't want to go into. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's too big. I think that's okay. a that's too uh, big of a topic for right and I'm, now. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what accept means. Like, accept that it exists and that there's nothing I can do about it because I'm just one person, or like accept. I that, think like, he's talking about like keep it there who on purpose. We send to war to fight our battle, battles for us. I live next to a fire department, I so see. if you guys can hear the the siren, uh, it makes me feel like actually, rationally speaking, records in uh, downtown New York City. So mm. every single time they're recording you can hear police sirens so which is great when you're driving (laughs) every time you you hear that you know that you are safe from fires that's right (laughs) and there's emts literally right on the side of my balcony so yeah Yeah. just in case okay because my arm just went numb which one because i think heart attacks present differently in females than do in males oh seriously yeah it's it's little known but apparently i was gonna say left because i thought it was left and i think i think in women it's like actually i should know this because i i I was shocked to hear this when I first learned it, but yeah, it turns out that the the symptoms of a heart attack are taught male centrically. That it's it's uh, it presents differently in females. Now that I don't know how it presents differently, that knowledge is basically useless to That's me. That's shocking. <laughs> I can't believe that the, the medicine is so sexist. What I was thinking with regards to the ad hoc explainer versus the the perfect, perfect I guess rationalist. the perfect rationalist mm-hmm. is that the ad hoc explainer will have a have a better toolkit to understand what went wrong. And hopefully be less likely to make those mistakes in the future. Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if you realize that you trusted this source because you liked them a lot or something, you'll, and, you know, for whatever reason, then you found, oh, no, they're, they were radically wrong in all these things. If you're realizing that ad hoc, you can try and update how much you'll trust somebody just because you like them in the future. Are so you'll be less, you'll be forced to make less ad hoc justifications later on. Mm-hmm. So are we assuming that the perfect rationalist actually has no previous knowledge or has a different amount of previous knowledge of what went into making a problem or or an issue or an obstacle that needs to be overcome i think we could save the perfect rationalist discussion for our episode on miri the machine mm-hmm. the machine intelligence research institute because mm-hmm. i think i think the perfect rationalist would be a super ai yeah i think but, the perfect rationalist is first of all would have a lot more prior knowledge than we have it and processing power. Empty. What? And processing power. And processing power, yeah. But I, I think, you know, having a ton of foreknowledge is part of what helps make you rational. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also think that this podcast is more for people who are not uh, perfect rationalists, aspiring rationalists at best. Yeah. And I, so I don't, I don't think we need to optimize to that level on the podcast, but it's still, it's an interesting question. Like, mm-hmm. the, a lot of the ad hoc heuristics we come up with are pretty decent and would devoting all those resources into making a perfectly rational decision maker really make that big of a difference or would it just waste waste resources so maybe now is a good time to talk about a couple um a couple biases that that there are rationality tools to kind of get us by i I, and yeah I, i want to do that too but the only thing i wanted to add to the the last thing you said which i've already slipped on the exact wording, but uh, I'll find a way to put it together nicely. Um, that part of the aspiring to be, I guess, you know, perfect rationalist, whatever, but being more rational in general is I want to look back day to day, year to year, and think the thought, man, that was stupid of me, less than I used to. <laughs> and, then, and to me, that, that, that marks improvement, is 
if I'm not looking back and thinking, man, I was I was a fool. Uh, for X period of time in the past. Or, or like, you know, just less frequently, rather. Right? So, I mean, there'll be times, you know, if I'm encountering something new or I should have done this better, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be constantly thinking that. I see. Okay. <laughs> I don't want you to have to edit out even more stuff <laughs> by getting sidetracked. Okay. So, um, there's a couple, a couple of things that we wanted to, um, go over. And we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the effect heuristic. So this is kind of the, the bias that, um, there are rationality tools in order to help us get by. So effect heuristic is any time that a subjective emotion about something acts as a mental shortcut. Um, we have a couple examples and, um, one of those is the halo or horns effect. Thanks less wrong. And so in this case, the halo effect would be if you think that somebody is a great person, you really like them, then they can kind of do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you think someone is smart, you'll think they're more attractive. If you find someone attractive, you'll often think they're smarter, they're better morally, just all good things tend to shine and make the other good things look even more good. And all they say is true. So you're more likely, you know, to believe them. And a lot of those, a lot of those make sense, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of the bummer, right? Because... But there's no reason that someone two inches taller than me should be more um, credible in any (laughs) single, you know, area. Or like in... In general, just as as like just average sampling, like in every single area, right? So right. like celebrity, attractive celebrities, people take their words on everything, right. um, and e- e- even to use like less uh, obvious examples, like you know, staying clear of Jenny McCarthy and anti-vaxxing, um, like you can get uh, the Nobel Prize in chemists. Uh, people people apparently ask these people like, what's your thoughts on like. The Middle East conf- conflict. It's yeah. Like, why would I know anything about that? I'm... How do you feel about the blacks? <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer that when it's a trap. <laughs> um, but as far as being able to just, just, just dissociate yourself completely from, uh, I guess, emotional affect to any problem at all is going to be really, really hard, if yeah. if doable at all. But I think the goal is to uh, be aware of the bias and then try to uh, prime yourself against it. Yeah, and I, we, we're going to get into a couple of tools. I just wanted to... Oh. I ran across the horns example really recently when yeah. I was over at dinner with my parents. Uh, someone brought up George W. Bush, and they we're a fairly liberal family, and uh, I, I was trying to say, look, not everything he did was awful. I mean, that guy sucks. Listen, but Hitler he had, had like, some good ideas. Right, Thank no, you. <laughs> no, 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 but like, he apparently had a really good AIDS program that uh, helped out in Africa mm-hmm, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and true. and the person unnamed person that was sitting next to me was like, yeah, well, fuck him and fuck that stupid AIDS <gasps> program and didn't, you know, it's like, no. It must have been bad because that's a bad person and right. we don't like him. And I'm like, you know, it's a, he is a terrible person, but come on, it's he did a good thing, right? You or can he give might him even, his good thing. He might even be an okay person. I've never met him or, or even known, even if I'd met him at a conference or something, it's not like I know him as an individual. Right. Everyone's heard, nice personally. I've, yeah. heard, of, I've yeah. heard a lot Maybe. of people say that he's a, he's a nice person personally. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, so it's it's who the unnamed person sitting next to you mm-hmm. didn't didn't make an effort to calibrate against the fact that they hate George Bush versus assessing the effectiveness of the AIDS program. Yeah, well, and I, I will I will say I was greatly exaggerating for story effect just now. It's not that they said <laughs> fuck his AIDS program. They started coming up with things like I'm sure it wasn't that effective, and mm-hmm. it could have been a lot better than it actually was. Merely because he ran it and the person didn't actually have any data to back any of this up. That's actually a, a stronger, I think that's a more interesting case than the hyperbole that you yeah. gave. Because that's, that's saying, that's immediately not saying, well, screw him and screw everything he did. It's saying, I bet that sucked because right. he did it. Well, yeah, that then that's that's the best example of the horns effect there is. Mm-hmm. Like, if we had had a different president, he could have done the AIDS program better. Right. I'm like, maybe, but he did good. I feel like this happens to all my exes. Explain. <laughs> That they think bad things about you, or yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that around um, to have me thinking it instead. Okay, because um, I think it's rude the other way. Anyway, <laughs> so when you break up with somebody, um, I think sometimes for some people it might take a while to remember that there were good things about them, and mm. that you know <laughs> that 
that it's not it's not all terrible and they're not a terrible person and they're a normal human being and that can be a bit of a survival strategy too yes. because when i broke up with my wife my my first wife way back when um we stayed friends and then eventually we kind of got back together again and that was just a clusterfuck because the reason we broke up is we were not good together and so we lost another two years with the whole, you know, getting back together. And then, oh, I was like, no, I, I just, I, the second time we broke up, I was just like, I'm done with you. Everything about you is horrible and I can't be near you. And then I was actually able to go on with my life. Okay. Because, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, so these heuristics. Shit. Is that an example of where it's rational to be irrational? That's what, that's what we're saying. Maybe it is. Yeah. Or rather, not necessarily rational, but helpful because it's not rational to be irrational. Right. It is a helpful survival technique to yes. be irrational. Because I know she is actually a pretty good person all over. We just, we can't be together because we might fall back together. And I guess that's like meta-rationality because I made the decision <laughs> to be, you know, about her. Everything that, doesn't have to be rational. That's what right. I was going to say, though, is that, that your goal wasn't to properly, in, in that moment, wasn't to properly assess, is this person, you know, a good person or not? It's, I don't want to be miserable with this person. So mm. what do I need to do to make that happen? Well, if I, if I, Express to myself and to her that I think that you know she's terrible and I never want to be around her. That'll get that that should get the job done. Yeah. Mm, so I don't know about you, but one of my goals is to be a kinder, better person. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where rationality can actually, or rather, these rationality tools can really help. Um, one of the ones is the principle of charity. Mm, it's a good one. This is my favorite um, technique in which you evaluate your opponent's position as if it made the most amount of sense possible given the wording of the argument. And again, this reminds me of arguments maybe with a significant other or a family member right. where you get into a place where you want to misinterpret or you're angry and you're hurt. So it's not that you want to, but you misinterpret um, everything they say to be the worst possible meaning. And you see that a lot on the internet too. It's so sad. It seems to be like the main reason you should never read the comments. Uh-huh. Someone like, says that's, something that's and everyone not what is they like, meant. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a quote that I really loved about this from uh uh a less wrong post that I came across years ago and I don't think I found these regularly but it was linked to somewhere. And it was if you're interested in being on the right side of disputes, you will refute your opponent's arguments. But if you're interested in producing truth, you will fix your opponent's arguments for them. To win, you must fight not only the creature you encounter, you must fight the most horrible thing that could be constructed from its corpse. And that, that person's username was Black Belt Bayesian. Um, <laughs> so that, that's, that's a good example of steel manning, which to me I think is like principle of charity 2.0, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, the definition of that, that that I pulled from Less Wrong, I believe, is um, a straw man is a misrepresentation of someone's position or argument that's easy to defeat. While a steel man is an improvement on somebody's position or argument that's harder to defeat than their originally stated position or argument. I don't, I, I personally, you know, when I've used this before, I don't think it has to be better than their originally stated argument, but I think that it makes sense to pull their strongest arguments and, and go up against those rather than their weakest ones. It's game time. Can we steel man the question that we got? From that person, yeah, I think it's I, too. Complex. I feel like I feel like it's it's pretty solid on its own. Plus, it's complex, but uh, we can we can give it a shot. I don't know. I, it didn't seem like a bad like it didn't seem ill formed or anything like that, right? So, like to me, like steel manning would be. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a really non-inflammatory example, but it's hard to. I think we have been. I think we've been trying to characterize. Um, we've been using the principle of charity. We've been trying mm -hmm. to characterize the question in ways that we can address, right? Yeah. In ways that, oh, well, do they mean this? Well, that would make sense. Do they mean this? That would make a lot of sense. Um, and we've also, at least, I, I certainly have, and you guys have too, um, we've been disagreeing with, we've been making arguments and then, well, what situation would it be the best thing to not, to not behave rationally, right? Yeah. So... We've already been playing this game. Yeah, I think that that might be less of a of a game time thing and more of like a welcome to the show kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Do it all the time. I mean, it's it's especially when you're coming across like a new argument for something, right? So yeah, uh, one of my uh, 
intro to philosophy classes, uh, one of the best, like, learning, I don't know what you call them, not examples, but what am I trying to think? Where, where they try and get people to do things, whatever. Exercises? Exercises, thank you. <laughs> um, was we, we had covered the, each side of the, uh, I guess, teaching creationism in science classrooms mm-hmm. debate, which basically everybody, most people, I, I assume, walked into that room already, like, having a belief about it before it was, you know, expressed and articulated. But nevertheless, the, the arguments were given, and then the teacher had us raise our hands if you, if you know, all right, creationism, not in the science classroom, everyone raise your hands who believes, and then vice versa. All right, cool. So you, uh, everyone uh, who believed that creationism should be taught in the classroom moved to this side, and now argue that creationism shouldn't be taught in this classroom, mm-hmm. uh, or in the science classroom. And I thought that was fun, because I then was forced to think of the best, because, you know, I can't remember if there was a prize or if it was just winning, but I'm like, all right, fine. We haven't, well, we, all the arguments we covered sucked because I already thought of them and dismissed them, but what's, what's the best thing I can think of? Why, why on earth should we try and teach it? And I I've, think I've heard that called the uh, ideological Turing test. Yes. When your opponent cannot tell if you are uh, natively for or against the position mm-hmm. by your argument. Oh, man. Oh, like, that's a fun one. Yeah. Like, oh, is he someone who hates this argument but is pretending to like it, or does he actually like it? You know? Right. I have something you to steal man and it's the next part of the question Ooh, before we get to that oh, oh okay no, no no it's okay uh <laughs> I, I was just gonna say I, I since we got on the creationism thing i think one of my favorite arguments for teaching creationism in the classroom is that it should always be taught by someone who is scientifically literate so we can demonstrate this is how science works and this is why it's not science creationism is a perfect example of the traps you can fall into if you have a cursory knowledge of science but you don't actually do it using the tools of the scientific method. Oh man, I wish I had thought of that when I had this example. It was <laughs> well, but then that is that is then someone could tell obviously you are not yeah. for creation. But but that wasn't the goal of the exercise. The goal of the exercise was just to to argue for it, okay. to argue again, to argue for a position you disagreed with. Okay. Um, and I I think I settled on something. This was like eight years ago. I'm trying to remember. I think I settled on something along the lines of of pluralistic education or something. You know teach and it was i think i tried to think of the best form of teach both sides mm-hmm. and you know whatever i only mm-hmm. had a few minutes to think but that was i think that's the best way to put it is it's yes we should teach it followed by an example of this is exactly how science isn't done that would have been so <laughs> awesome <laughs> um so moving on so the next part is the bayesian priors for any real life problem aren't available and if you're estimating how are you doing better than someone using their knowledge and intuition? So the way, the way that I would respond to this, which is not at all steel manning, is that, um, that the writer maybe is a little bit confused because we always go into things with Bayesian priors. Yeah. It's, That's the um, definition of what they are. Yes. We, we always have, um, we are constantly giving outcomes probabilities, right? So, and we, and we update those as we become more experienced and, it's like he... and have knowledge and have, and the reason that we have intuition to draw on is intuition draws from our, our stores of knowledge and experience, which is our priors. Yeah. I would take it even easier than that and just say, the, the, the commenter said that, uh, real life problems never have what given given bayesian priors or something yeah, yeah they, uh, like and that's he, that's just false you, right, it's uh, like he assumes bayesian priors are a tag well, you are doing things? a bad job at steel I am manning. Well, well, straw manning well, well, i'm not going to straw man but I, i'm going to look at it and then we can steel man it but but just, <laughs> just look, looking at it as given uh so i mean it depends on the problem right mm-hmm. so like if i want to know the accuracy of my pregnancy test or someone else's pregnancy test rather um hope mine probably wouldn't be wouldn't come up positive but <laughs> but but in general uh, although i have heard uh anecdotal stories of some types of testicular cancer giving positive uh, oh. results on pregnancy tests fun so something to keep in mind um yes we should all keep that don't in quote mind. me on that we're not citing that um <laughs> so uh but the the odds are given on the on the the package and in the the included documentation so like mm-hmm. uh Given a positive pregnancy test, you know with like what ninety eight percent probability that you're pregnant. If it's uh, within um, X number of days of your missed period, exactly. And so that's that's exactly the appropriate way to to look at it, and then you get your prior from that. But then, I'm assuming that in any real world problem, maybe they meant something like that you just encounter, you know, without prep time. Um, 
but I'm trying to think of, of an example where you likely wouldn't have any priors at all. Like, so I go out to start my car tomorrow and it doesn't start. Uh, well, there are a lot of things, you know, but I could, I could look at what other issues I've had with it or something like that to, to give me right. a, I mean, a priors would depend on how many times you'd run into this problem before. And what sort of symptoms? Like, is it just not starting period? Is it doing this and not mm -hmm. that? Like even, even if you are thrown into a position, for example, for me, it would be, which sports star do you think is going to win the game of, you know, some random game? And I don't care about sports or know about any people. Mm -hmm. Even then, you, you have some priors because you are, I would be able to say, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. So I'd be able to assign... What would it be like if there are two people, 50 50 mm. would be my I have no idea priors. Yeah. And then you could ask your, your sports savvy friend, exactly. hey, who do you think this is? And then you can say, okay, well, how much are they savvy about sports, et cetera? <laughs> and then, and then, and exactly. But then, but then you can update accordingly and say, well, they, they're a big they would, fan of this team. So they're always going to say they're going to win. And, so I can't use his knowledge. Yeah, or, or they've, or they've won their fantasy league every year for the last eight years. Ooh. Uh, they, I'll bet ninety nine percent. I'll bet I'll bet ninety percent now that this person's going to win because that person knows what's up and they're they're not motivated to lie to me about this. So, I mean, it you can shouldn't go, go with ninety percent. Person's going to win. You should go with whatever your friend said. If your friend said there's only seventy percent chance they're going to win. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. So update your beliefs accordingly. There's actually a really good, uh, and it's not worth something worth diving into later with problems with Bayesian updating. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can get you can run into examples where like. Uh, that sort of reasoning, what does my friend think, and they're, they tend to be reliable, um, can run into, like, uh, sort of wider problems, like, um, I'm not sure what the percentage is, 80, 70% of the, of the world population is religious. Well, they can't all be idiots, so should I update in favor of, of becoming religious, you know, given that it's such a popular belief and they're so confident in it? Mm -hmm. But then that, that sort of runs into the problem, because they're, they're not arriving at that conclusion with Bayesian, with Bayesian guidance, right. so... Uh, I don't know, but I thought that was a fun, that's a fun counterexample that was worth exploring at some point. I think, yes, totally. Okay, so we're, uh, let's go back to the, after all the, what was it? So, after all the Bayesian priors for any real-life problem aren't available, and if you're estimating, how are you doing better than someone using their knowledge and intuition? So we, so our non-steel manning was that the, the author of the question is maybe a little bit confused about what we mean by Bayesian priors. Right. Um, so, steel manning, um, what, what could they mean? What do you think they do mean by that? I, for some reason, I thought this was the easiest part of their question to answer. And, okay. that's, just, and that's because, like, so a well-informed expert uh, will will get things right more often than others because they have a, a better background to work with. Like, yeah. that's just what it means. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, like, um, chess grandmasters, uh, they, they, can, they can speed through, and I... I'm going to edit this out. I can't remember where I was going with this. But, um, <laughs> I think this yeah. is actually, a, the chess analogy, good for steel manning, would a perfectly rational Bayesian who is not a chess grandmaster, just kind of familiar with the rules... Would he be better at chess than a non-Bayesian chess grandmaster? So would Deep Blue be the chess grandmaster? Because uh, well, Deep Blue only, does, but, but only yeah. knows the rules. Right, right. Yeah, and the, you know, Deep Blue doesn't know anything else, right? So I think, yeah, but I think it can also question, go quickly, right? I think Deep Blue went pretty quick. I'm not sure about the speed, but I bet... And that was, what, 20 years ago? I'm sure the best chess-playing computers now are... are Crazy good. Yeah. We need to talk about how that computer won at Go next sometime. But what if uh, what if you were yeah, a the, human being? The one being. that did Go was a much bigger deal because, as far as I recall, <laughs> Deep Blue just basically brute forced the problem, right? Right. Yeah. Because chess is like computable. Yeah. Uh, in a way that mm -hmm. Go just isn't. Right. So but you were asking. So let's say that our perfect rationalist is a human being. Yes. And they're nearly perfect rationalist, but um, I think that. You know, compared to somebody with deep experience, um, it, the truth is that it only works if they have the evidence that they need in order to to process a solution, yeah. right? Well, yeah, I think that's they fair. Have I have to have the input in order to make the output. I think the perfect rationalist would expect to lose to the chess grandmaster. Yes, because the chess grandmaster has a lot more knowledge and has those techniques. You know, almost internalized, I would assume. I haven't met any. 
almost internalized to the to the point of intuition, whereas the the Bayesian doesn't have all of that experience on his side. I think you're right. I think they probably bet on themselves losing. Yeah. Uh, but and therefore win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lose the game, win the bet. Um, <laughs> but the question of uh, encountering, I guess, Bayesian priors. Read the read the the, the sentence again. The Bayesian priors for any real-life problem aren't available. If you're estimating, how are you doing better than someone using their knowledge and intuition? Well, you aren't. Everyone just uses their knowledge and intuition. <laughs> and I, th- I think I think that it's not even it's not it's not being uncharitable to say that the first part of the question is is factually incorrect because the priors are given. A on, a lot of cases. I, think. I think the point with rationality is is that if you are dedicated to epistemic rationality, you will have better um, knowledge because you will have, you know, weeded out the bad knowledge that you have and kept only the good stuff. And you will also tend to get better intuition because you'll be able to figure out that, oh, these intuitions usually don't work and I shouldn't rely on them. And these other intuitions tend to work better and I'll adopt them instead. Like, either way, you're working on knowledge and intuition, but if you apply the methods of rationality, you have generally, the hope is, better knowledge and better intuition through the, you know, rationality process. I think that's a good answer. I've got nothing to add. (laughs) Okay. Shall we move on in the question? Sure. Is that too arrogant sounding? I always feel like I sound like an arrogant prick when I say that you're not rationality saying, you're not saying, is the best way to get these things. You know? You're not saying I'm the rationality expert and, you know, that's why I have everything I want. Like, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying uh, to get a little bit better. Well, because I, I mean, the tools I use to get a little bit better when I can. And I think that's I think that's a fair way of putting it. Right. So, like, and I'm not sure if it's if it's unfair to put it this way or not, but like, what's the alternative? It's yeah. so like, am I going to get there by other means? Like, just trusting my friends over and over. Trust but, your gut. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, like, what if your gut sucks? Like, if your gut, like, your gut I, does suck. That's but, the whole point of this. But but it, but if you can make but, your but, gut better, exactly. <laughs> and just using the example of chess again, they can they can intuit through a game. That's why you can play speed chess and kick ass mm-hmm. if you're really good at chess. Uh, because they, they're not even thinking about it. They just they can look at a board. They've seen it a hundred thousand times. They can just go right through it and uh, and play it. You know, as as fast as it takes to move the pieces. Um, but the difference is that, uh, I guess, what other things would you, would you use to guide your decision making? Uh, I, I don't know. The person tries to kind of clarify that previous sentence here, um, by saying, I don't include empirical decision making as inherently rational here. So for example, if give directly were the best charity, I see that as more of a data-driven outcome than a rational one. So I, I guess what they're saying is um, they they don't see data evidence evidence-based decision making as inherently rational. I I, I challenge yeah. politely. Like uh, one of the most important. You challenge what tools. I'm what I'm what I'm saying no, about no, their no, no, what, assertion. What what the, what the assertion is? Yeah. One okay. of the most important tools of rationality is data and empiricism. Yeah. And yeah. So like. If if you don't count empirical decision making as rationality, uh, I think I think maybe it would be unfair to equate them. Yeah, uh, but we, it, we may have just differing definitions because rationality doesn't have a lock on data and empiricism. Nope. I mean that's been with humans for a long time. Right. So maybe and, he's discounting it for that, but, but or, we we use data and empiricism. Or he's asking for examples outside of empirical data that count as as rational decision making because that that sounds like a harder question because you know we've had empiricists around you know formal empiricists for at least i think empiricism was the school and of philosophy and starting in what 15 1600 so like i mean there's been people dedicated to that uh for centuries but they haven't been bayesian rationalists no um so i guess where does bayesian rationality come in outside of empiricism i think i think bayesian rationality incorporates empiricism but isn't equated with it well, Bayesian rationality is a little bit different. Um, so the way I was trying to explain it to my mom the other day mm-hmm. was Bayesian rationality is like the difference between Bayesian statistics and the standard statistical model. Frequentist. Frequentist? I believe, yeah. Okay. This is a term that I've seen anyway. So, and and we've seen it, we've seen it work better 
get closer to get closer to the truth in statistical models, which is why um, there's a huge movement towards using it in physics and genetics, right? And and it handles new problems better. Yeah, um, and it, it's updating. It is updating your um, your priors. It's updating your probabilities. I don't want to right based on based yes. on additional evidence. Yes, it is. I don't. Just I basically. don't want to paint Bayesianism as like the ultimate end all be all of statistics. No, but just but a I little think bit it's, better. It's another. <laughs> it's it's another tool that if you don't use it, you are handicapping yourself. But I've heard, I've seen um, I've seen arguments for why Bayesianism isn't always the best way to go. That there's mm-hmm. other ways of uh, analyzing data as well. Well, it depends on the problem too, right? Yeah, but I mean, the the fact that Bayesianism is getting a lot more. And the reason I like Bayesianism a lot is because it is the formalized version of how I prefer everyone to think intuitively. That rather thinking in absolutes, you always think in probability distributions. And when you get into the nitty gritty of which statistic is best, I'm not a scientist or a statistician for that point, um, for that matter. So I, I don't want to lay down my flag and say, no, Bayesian is better in all cases and this is why. But I think that Bayesianism has a lot going for it that if people applied it more to their day to day lives would uh, help people up- update their beliefs, I guess. Yeah. But at the and basic, be, but at uh, the base, that's what it is a statistical method. Mm-hmm. Right, so it is at its base empirical, right? Right, but we don't use it that way in our day-to-day life. I never put on an eighty percent chance that I'm going to get to work without, you know, within my fifteen-minute window. And why not? You could never. I, be I late. actually, actually, <laughs> but the thing is, is I do that every day, and that's why I leave ten minutes early, right? Right, because well, no, uh, I've, I've, I have a heuristic now for about how much time I need to get to work to be on time ninety percent of the time. Right. But I guess that was calibrated through that sort of, of, of updating. Well, I yeah, think yeah. that like you should, look, your, we first, your first step is to look at your phone. Well, it says it's a 36 minute trip, and then 55 minutes later, you roll into the parking lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I started working this job before we had those smartphones that could tell you the minutes. So, yeah, for me, it was just a bunch of trial and error. <laughs> and I updated a little bit every time. But you should be, you one, you do assign probabilities to things automatically. Yeah, but not consciously. Not consciously. Yeah. And two, it might help to make it more conscious. It probably would, yes. So I'm still aspiring. But then, then <laughs> for me, the problem of always applying, trying to put numbers on it is I always feel like I'm just like humoring myself. Because mm. I'm, I'm not sure if this is 80% or 90% sure that I'll make it to work on time, but I'm pretty sure and that's why I'm leaving now. Keep doing it and you'll get better. I guess. I need. To, I maybe I should start writing it down or something. Calibrate Have you been doing those? It? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> do you do it with anything? Probably. Like, like, I mean, like, I can't keep, keep think track of something. Of I can't think of something offhand, yeah. but um, I've definitely had conversations with friends in which I ask them to to put down a probability mm-hmm. on on what they think is true. I'm gonna I'm gonna take an example from my life of someone who I consider not entirely trustworthy. <laughs> in in uh, this is a coworker that whenever, no matter where she's working or who she's working with, it's always a terrible place, and everyone's out to get her. And so I have a prior now that if she says something bad about her coworkers, it's probably a problem with her. And I'm not changing how I feel about the people she's talking about at oh, all. The horns effect. Well, just from... You're from, falling in the hole. No, just from my experience with her, her, her narrative of other people is not reliable. So I can't use it to update one way or the other. I think the horns effect would be assuming the opposite of what she said necessarily or i guess maybe no, a little it's bit assuming that since she is an unreliable person in general and because you have this previous experience with her as an unreliable person uh-huh. you're using um you're using no, I... your experience but also it might be an emotional like oh she's complaining again i've had that with a coworker too and you know what it yeah. resulted in me not listening to some really good ideas no, well i mean yes it, it would be if it was something accounting related that i was dismissing because i was you know used to dismissing her opinions on people, that would definitely be the horns effect. I trust her to do her job entirely well. It's just when she talks about other people, I don't pay attention to that. But I think that is where the probability comes in. I have assigned very little probability to what she's saying being accurate. And I still listen to it and kind of file it away, I guess. But, you know, I've never actually put, like, I I put 99% on her not being reliable when describing other people. I I just think, yeah, I'm not going to pay attention to that. And I, th- 
I don't think people generally do think in numbers on those sorts of personal day-to-day issues. I do think that the difference, though, between that and the horns effect isn't is that you're not looking at how do I feel about her? So that's how I'm going to assess what she's saying. You're saying, how reliable has this person been in the past? So yeah. how am I going to assess what they're saying? And that, I think, is a, is a much more sound way of mm. looking at things. Um, you know, so if you have a, a really It's a piece highly, of evidence. The question is. is, how good is it? Well, so, like, if you have, like, a really... I've been working with her for five years. <laughs> if you have a really reliable doctor with, you know, great reviews online or something, you might trust their diagnosis more than your friend in med school who is getting straight Ds. Right. right. Oh. So you're you're intuitively so, putting putting um, percentages on things, and but you don't have actual numbers and you, in your head. You might even like your friend more. Right. But it's just well, I, I'm in this area and on this topic, this person probably knows more. So um, I don't know. But yeah. You Was there anything else in the question that we had to that we have to address? Let me just double check. I don't think so. So then it's they they ended by. <laughs> They ended by thanking you again for putting together the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality podcast version, and they're very nice. And um, and thank I thank them, and hopefully we'll get their Reddit name so we can thank them properly for submitting a question that we then pulled apart and probably terribly misinterpreted i i would like to (laughs) yes i would first of all like to invite this person to once they hear this to write back and tell me if they think we addressed the question if they think we were fair uh if they have any follow-up questions and really anyone who's listening to this if you have anything to say about this question like what did we miss what would you have liked to have said if you were on this podcast or what should we address leave us a comment or something we will read these or send us an email We'll totally read them on, on, not online, but, you know, on the podcast how can and respond they, to them. Okay. How can they leave a comment and how can they send us an email? Go to thebayesianconspiracy.com and click on the comments for the episode that you want to comment on. Or they can send us an email at bayesianconspiracypodcast at gmail.com. Unfortunately, the Bayesian conspiracy was taken. Yes, it was. Somehow. Yes. I think that was it. Did yeah. we have anything else we were going to... Well, if anyone else has any other questions, we've got like a list of topics that's going to keep us going for a year at our <laughs> at our schedule. But if anyone wants to send any questions or anything, we will be glad to take them. Thoughts, suggestions, comments, concerns. Tell us how much we suck. How we can make this better. That the first step to getting <laughs> better is knowing how much you suck. But but constructively. Yeah, that's true. Don't be jerks. All right. <laughs> because I can't take bum, any bum, more Hey. I, I have nothing to contribute. Have we stopped? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, before we go, <laughs> we have to do our sign-off. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Ineash. I'm Katrina. And I'm Steven. We'll see you next time on the Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast. Ooh, tell them that we'll see them in two weeks. Oh, yeah. We'll see you in two weeks on the next episode of the Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast. 